Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so that you can trust the sufficiency of scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. Welcome back, brave parents. Kelly and Chelsea here today, and we are going to be talking about baby and toddlers and screen time. Now, this topic can be contentious, and really, it stirs people up on both sides of the aisle. You have some who say, let me parent how I want. Screens are neutral, while other people say screens are the worst and they're detrimental for development. Now, as you probably know, we at Brave Parenting lean towards the limited screen use side of the aisle, but we really want to provide you today with not just a lecture about why babies and toddlers shouldn't ever touch your phone, much less have their own iPad. We really want to provide you with a look at it from all the different perspectives and all the sort of nuances that go in there, acknowledging how difficult it really can be to raise your child in a screen-free environment. It's not just difficult. It sometimes is impossible. Um, And we want to talk about what the research has shown, what it hasn't shown, and all of the difficulties in there. We really want to help you think long-term on things like your child's worldview and how do you plan or hope to educate them. What are your baby or toddler's natural proclivities, their struggles, their aptitudes? And of course, what is your end goal of raising them in the knowledge and discipline of the Lord? Are you trying to pass on the heritage of faith to them as they grow up and teach them to love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, in order to achieve those long-term goals for your child, you really need to consider what that is going to cost you in the here and now. When another Disney movie would certainly buy you the time that you need to get done what you need to get done. So if your long-term goals are for them to have a biblical worldview, to love and serve the Lord, this doesn't mean your child can never watch television or ever interact with your phone. However, it will require intentionality surrounding that activity. And that is because in all things as Christians, we are called to be set apart to be holy as God is holy, and to not love and worship the things of this world. If it goes for us as adults, then it definitely goes for our babies and toddlers. And that intentionality is essential because while the screen itself may be neutral, content is not. That was an awesome intro, Kelly. I think big picture, right? Christian parents aren't just parenting. Each of us has agreed with Christ that our life is not our own and it belongs to him. It is his to hold and command. And our life is transforming into a clearer and brighter reflection of Christ through sanctification. Now, of course, we know that God allows temptations to happen so that we would choose to die to ourselves, to worship him when we're found in those temptations, right? This is the very clear message Jesus tells us in the gospels. Pick up your cross and follow me. And honestly, The temptations are everywhere when you're raising babies and toddlers. In fact, the most common temptations are found in our physiology and in our flesh. The exhaustion when you're not sleeping great, you're trying to keep up with their energy level. There's an underlying exhaustive anxiety because you're always wondering when they're going to lose themselves to a temper tantrum or, heaven forbid, if that temper tantrum occurs in public and you wonder about those results. 
How are you going to be perceived by others as you manage the temper tantrum? You're tired, you're overwhelmed, and you're frustrated. And you know what? You know exactly what's going to give you a, a sweet reprieve, a screen. Our physiology and our flesh is weak. But if there is one thing that we can take comfort in, it is knowing that Jesus was fully man. And Christian parents, we have been brought into this marvelous kingdom of God, which allows us to look to Christ in our weaknesses, to depend on his strength and model what he has modeled for us or done for us. And we don't have to submit ourselves to those temptations. And yet, all at the same time, we have to acknowledge that our modern world revolves around digital interfaces, online media, screen-based services, right? We are simply just not an analog culture anymore. We don't even have an analog childhood like we had, depending on what age you are when you're listening to this. It's near impossible to do that anymore. Why is it impossible? Because it would require you, the parent, to live an analog life. And the reality is you probably have a smartphone, a smart television, a laptop, and you engage with all of these screens in productive ways throughout the day. And even then, consider how many screens you and your children may interact with just on a daily basis outside of the home. The grocery store self-checkout is a touchscreen. Fast food restaurants have touchscreens at their ordering kiosks. You check in for your child's dentist or doctor's appointment completed on an iPad. You might even check in your child on an iPad at church, right? All of these digital services are helpful, but it would be really hard to avoid the massive interaction we all have on a daily basis with screens. And all this to say that our best efforts are more wisely invested in teaching and establishing healthy and productive boundaries around media for our youngest of children than to create a completely analog childhood like we may have had. Yeah, I think that's spot on. We are really called to do more than just rear children. We, we are called to disciple them and to be disciples ourselves. And you had mentioned this battle of our physiology, right? Our mind, muscles, emotion, and our flesh. All of that goes into play. When you are raising babies and toddlers, it is a just full body, mind, soul experience. It takes everything you have. And with the ubiquity of screen-based services and technologies, these temptations are plentiful, and most importantly, they are here to stay. So we need to discern how we balance our physiology and flesh with our babies and our toddlers. So let's start by having just an honest, fair, and as unbiased as possible look at the pros and cons of baby and toddler screen time. Now, I'm not going to quote any research here. Just as this is the reality of on the ground, real life pros and cons. And how we define screen time right now is just any content watched or interacted with on a television, smartphone, tablet, computer. Okay, Chelsea, I'm gonna go through some pros. Let's see what we got here. This is what I think of. It grants parents time of reprieve. It gives them a little sanity time, right? Whether that be to have a, an online meeting, if you're working from home, if you need to take a shower, if you're just about ready to lose your mind, right? That screen engages them and buys them time. I also think when context is properly explained, when you're co-viewing, content can help them sometimes they learn and understand some of the things about the world around them. So that can be good. Screens can also maybe be a good reward motivator. Hey, you do this, maybe you earn some screen time. I don't know. Can you think of any others? 
Oh, gosh. Um, okay, so I know it's been said that for a while screens could promote like responsibility, but I don't know. I think that's been debunked. What do you think? I think so. I remember early on we saw when we started Brave Parenting that that was one of the things they said that giving them screens will promote responsibility, like that they'll actually understand maybe how expensive of the of a tool and a treat that it is. But I don't think that they really do. I think that is debunked. I don't, I look at teenagers and it's not really teaching them responsibility all the time. So I definitely don't think that's true for our babies and toddlers. Okay, so then let's look at the cons. Let's think about just on the ground, real life cons of baby and toddler screen time. Well, I would say screen time we know can be very, very pacifying, almost too pacifying, even potentially habit forming. I would also say that little kids can be learned to be comforted with a screen instead of in a relationship, which could be harmful. We know that blue light can affect their sleep and schedule rhythm, which is crucial for babies and toddlers, um, their sleep. And I'd say that time on a screen equates with less time and healthier activities. They may choose the screen instead of physical activity. And then, of course, I would say also that content can be very harmful to them, depending on what content that it is. Yeah. I think when it comes to our experience as parents on the ground, raising little kids, that pretty much sums it up. But I have to be honest and say, it really just boils down to feelings. Like if we were to condense all of it in a pot and boil it down, it's just a concentration of feelings, the feelings of the parent. Do I need a reprieve or do I have time to watch this kid's show and explain what they're seeing? But then also the feelings of the child. This is easy and this feels good. The everyday reflexive action to place a child in front of a screen instead of dealing with the tantrum or the whining or the distraction or the noise, the mess, whatever, all of it is just about our flesh and how we as parents feel in the moment. Likewise, the everyday reflexive action for the child, the desire, the asking for, or (laughs) let's be honest, the demand. the demand for the screen, it's about their flesh and about how they feel in the moment. So it's like two negatives, right? It really is. It's feelings and feelings. And so they want it, they ask for it, and we want them to have it. And so it all comes down to, instead of making an intentional choice, because we know what these cons could potentially be, we just give in because it feels good on both ends. And that's the truth, and it's hard, and we all fall into it. I don't want there to be any judgment here if you are a parent who falls into this every day and then you feel bad about it. There's all of us, right? Every single parent, even if you if you love screen media or if you're leery of screen media, we can all attest that screen time makes life easy, makes it calm. It just quiets the chaos, and it is very often in exchange for sanity, I think this is where we saw the COVID lockdowns really, it contributed to so much change where we exchanged screen time for sanity so much more. Families were all at home. There wasn't a whole lot to do. Everybody's kind of going crazy. And screen time allowed for sanity in many homes. I certainly know it was that way for mine. And actually, this is interesting, Chelsea. I hadn't realized this, but I was talking to my sister, who is an assistant superintendent for a large school district, and a large portion of their kindergarten class right now 
are already identified as needing intervention for reading and language. So when I asked about this, she immediately said, well, these are the COVID babies. She immediately attributed it to COVID because three years ago, these five-year-olds who are now in kindergarten were two, and they were quarantined at home using more screens than their parents had probably ever intended. But at the time, that exchange for sanity, it felt so justified and even necessary to survive the day. COVID, man. I have some nightmares still. (laughs) I know, right? I think we all do. Yeah, it was weird and just unprecedented. Like no one had a rule book or even a grasp on how long-term consequences of toddlers and screen time were going to go, right? Even if you had decided to hold off and not allow a toddler time on the screen, the weariness of the lockdowns were sure to make the strongest parent cave. Now, if that was you, we by no means want to imply guilt, but rather we just want to encourage you and we want to help you move forward with healthy screen time. And honestly, this information isn't just for new moms and dads of babies or with toddlers and preschoolers who survived the pandemic. This information is for aunts and uncles and grandparents and babysitters out there who can just easily fall into the same screen time trap, right? I know, Kelly, this information, even though it's for babies and toddlers, it's just good for me to remember, even though I have teenagers, because teenagers are gigantic toddlers sometimes. So, Kel, what you mentioned that your sister had said, that, right, that's her subjective yet hands-on reality that she can recognize from almost 30 years of early education. This is corollary, which is exactly what we find in a lot of the research. So let's talk about what this is what the research is finding regarding baby and toddler screen time. You probably think we already have tons of meta-analysis and peer-reviewed studies demonstrating how detrimental screen time is, but that isn't so much the case. For the most part, research at best is corollary between screen time and developmental delays. This is the tricky and kind of like nuanced area of research, and here's why. First off, screen time studies rely on self-reporting. And in the case of babies and toddlers, that equates to the parents self-reporting how much time their child is spending on a screen. I don't think I need to elaborate on how biased this number could actually be on the parents' perception of screens. How much they are hands-on parenting all day and the guilt that they might feel and many other factors. Another issue with the research is that most studies are now pre-COVID. And just as we touched on, COVID changed a lot of the habits and the perceptions of screen time for the sake of sanity, not just teenagers, but very much for babies and toddlers as well. Another way the research is limited is because of the growth of screen media technology, the smartphones, the gaming apps, YouTube, and all of it. They have just like exploded over the past 10 years, right? Considering that smartphone ownership didn't cross the threshold of the majority of adults until 2013, we can definitely recognize the massive growth technology has experienced in the last decade. Now, this speed and exponential growth has not allowed researchers enough time to effectively study and research the impact on babies and toddlers. There just hasn't been enough time to have high-quality longitudinal studies. Now, research is also nuanced by the disproportionate differences in screen time-based socioeconomic statuses. So lower-income homes, which tend to be parents who have fewer years of education, also tend to rely on screen technology to serve as a babysitter while parents work. Children of higher-income families tend to have less screen time. 
So this conflates the overall data. And then, of course, one of the greatest limitations of research is that screen time is typically the focus of research and recommendations. However, time is only one factor. And equally important is the topic of content. When time can be used both productively or wastefully, time really doesn't tell us as much as content does. And this is also something tricky to empirically research. Yeah, those are all very important uh, to know when we look at research. And I would also add, and I'm not trying to spread or start a conspiracy theory, but this was actually told to me by a 30-year-plus seasoned child psychiatrist that a lot of research is being suppressed or shut down by the big entities controlling the market, such as big tech, who clearly have a financial incentive to hooking kids early to screen media and technology, and even big pharma, who likewise have a potential financial incentive if kids need medication to function and focus effectively. Now, again, I don't know that this is absolutely certainly happening, but it is something to consider. I mean, big tech companies have a lot of power as it stands right now. So how much research is out there that we have not been given? It's, it's possible that maybe somebody does know that this is detrimental, but they're not putting it out there for us to know. Anyway, it's just a, just a thought. Nonetheless, what you just walked through provides a very broad perspective on why we may hear one day that screens are terrible and it's it's decreasing, you know, gray matter of the brain. And then the next day, you'll read an article that says, oh, it's not terrible, it's great. And this content is fantastic and will help your child speak earlier. <laughs> with that stated, we can really be at peace with the fact that the scientific research available that we have to use right now, it's not going to prove one way or another whether baby and toddler screen time is beneficial, detrimental, or neutral, right? The, the research isn't our Bible, right? Big tech and culture, they do not have the power over us to tell us how we need to raise our kids. We know this inherently because of maybe the way we were raised and the way that God parents us. There's so much other examples and truth that we already know. We don't have to rely on the research to tell us. However, I do want to touch on what is overall affirmed by child development experts who have evaluated all of these corollary effects of screen media use in babies and toddlers, right? It may not be a causal effect where we know that one thing causes another. These are all just very corollary. Developmental delays are corollary to increased screen time. That's what we generally know. Um, but there's three aspects that almost everybody will agree on. And this is really important for, for all parents, but especially parents of babies and toddlers to know. Number one, screen time impacts sleep. Number two, content does matter. And number three, important activities are being displaced or replaced by the screen. So let's walk through those. The sleep. Okay, so sleep research, it's a... Cr- same across the board, regardless of age. We know this. We've been talking about this for teenagers and adults. Watching and scrolling high-paced, engaging content, especially before bedtime, 
can decrease both quality and quantity of sleep hours. Blue light impacts the body's natural sleep balance. It may not seem like that big of a deal. Maybe you watch screens right up until you go to bed and you sleep just fine. And you so you think, no big deal. But considering that sleep and quality sleep is linked with mental health, um, poor quality sleep is linked with depression and anxiety, I really think that we need to start taking this fact more seriously than we already are. And let's talk about the content because content does matter. The American Academy of Pediatrics and the World Health Organization are very clear in their guidelines for baby and toddler and preschool screen time. They state that only one hour of high quality content should be used for kids ages two to five. Well, what is high quality content? Of course, that's what we all wanna know. I'll be honest, there really isn't tons of it out there, but there is some. FaceTime video chatting is actually considered high quality content because you are learning how to engage in relationships. If you have family far away, this is actually a good thing, they say, to use the screen for that purpose. Shows and programs that show real life, such as nature shows, uh, Mr. Rogers, we probably grew up on that. <laughs> it is so slow paced and it encourages children to think, reflect, speak, sing, move, or dance. Any of that type of content is what most people in child development arena, that's what they all say is what we should be considering high quality content. And our last key point here was around the key activities that are being displaced or replaced by the screen. So this might include anything that's physical, movement, and play. Research has repeatedly shown a correlation, not necessarily a, a, an exact causation, but a correlation with increased screen time and obesity. And this is because it's really easy. Physical activity is being replaced with sedentary screen time. And this could also include relational activities that are being replaced by the screen. If your child would rather watch something on your phone sitting alone in a corner than to play and engage with similar age children, say at church or at a gathering of friends, this is very concerning because the screen is replacing relational learning that is crucial and essential at these young ages. Kelly, I really do think that the activities that are replaced with screens is in fact the most detrimental aspect of this. Yes, for some kids, the content they come across and the just the sheer volume of hours that they're allowed to watch TV or play on a screen is to their developmental detriment as well. But if we really think about it, the biggest detriment is the loss of activities. The analog activities that defined our childhood. Like we look back at our childhood and just like reminisce with a smile on our face, right? Yes, roaming the neighborhood and just going outside and exploring or just being so bored that you just found something to do. Yeah, drinking from the water hose, like just getting into trouble. You know what I mean? Not awful trouble, but yeah, all of that. It defined our childhood and it's losing out on mom or dad's attention reading books or playing together because they're just all on their own screens. It's the loss of the outdoor play, the creative outlets, the boredom. Oh my gosh, boredom is amazing for kids. In the end, I think one 
Journal of the American Medical Association study said this, and it kind of summarizes it all for us today. This is what they said, quote, in a single generation through what has been described as a vast uncontrolled experiment, the landscape of childhood has been digitized, affecting how children play, learn, and form relationships, end quote. And that's just it, Kelly. This is a massively uncontrolled experiment. And the question that every parent must think about, pray over, and discern is this. Is your child going to be part of the experiment? We'd love to tell you that there is a magic number for hours for screen time, but we can't. No one can. There are guidelines and generalizations, but that's all. What might be a safe two hours for one child could actually be completely detrimental for another. You know, that reminds me so much of one of my favorite Charles Spurgeon quotes. And if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, he's like the prince of preachers, 17th century. And he says this, discernment isn't the difference between right and wrong. It's the difference between right and almost right. And I think that's kind of where we are right now, navigating screens with our children. We don't know what almost right looks like. We want to think that screen time is almost right. Researchers don't know exactly what almost right is. Child development experts think they might know that almost right leans toward limited screen time. So therefore, that's the the most right decision. But parents on the ground raising toddlers can barely process through and discern what is right versus almost right. Because listen, we understand parenting is grueling. We understand that as As a mom and dad of toddlers, you're probably not sleeping your full eight hours that you need. You're just full on exhausted. And we've been there. And if you even have more than one child under the age of five, you're definitely probably running on fumes getting through the day. And that screen feels like a win-win. You win and the child wins. But what if what feels like a win-win is actually a win-lose, where we win sanity, but our babies and toddlers lose. Do we want our children to bear the potential long-term consequences of that loss just for our temporary wins of quiet time, of peace and quiet? That's definitely a big question to really sit and think about. Um, And it takes time and intentionality and to purposefully think about it. I think earlier when we mentioned that we're called to do more than rear our children, right? We're called to be a disciple and to disciple our children. It's really difficult in this cultural moment to parent in. The word of God, though, is sufficient to speak to us in our struggle and our temptation. I look at Jesus when he went into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days without food, we don't know if he slept well, but I I can't imagine that it was always a peaceful night's sleep, right? I am sure he had aches and pains just like the rest of us do. And yet, when he was tempted three times in order to rebuke the tempter, he used the truths of scripture. And so parents, I would just encourage you to find scripture that you can memorize and put on your heart and to use that scripture to renew your mind when those temptations arise. I also look at Jesus and I think of the day that he fed the 5,000 in, in Matthew 14. First, in the, in the morning, he hears the news of John the Baptist's death. 
which I can only imagine would have been very, very hard to hear. Then during the day, the crowds are following him. Um, He gets into a boat. When his boat lands, he sees even more large crowds waiting, waiting for him. But instead of pushing through and telling them to go somewhere else, um, instead of trying to, to find a peaceful moment, he has immediate compassion on them. And compassion, God's mercy towards people is their, his active compassion towards their suffering and their guilt. And he has compassion on them. He immediately moves towards them instead of away from them. So he begins to heal their sick. Then the late afternoon approaches and he knows they need to be fed. So he feeds every single man, woman, and child there. Then he puts the disciples in a boat in the evening. And in the middle of the night, after taking a very long time to pray, he walks on the water. Kelly, that is just one day. That is a very, very long and full day. And he knew what it felt like to be tired. Exhaustion on this side of heaven is just part of the curse of a broken world. And he knew what it was to take care of others, to constantly serve others, to put off himself, and to think highly of other people. So parents, we can look to Jesus and we can take comfort that he knew every single ache and pain, every single level of exhaustion and weariness that we experience, and yet he did it all without sin. He humbled himself and thought of others as better than himself. And crazily enough, he gave us that record of righteousness. So parents, I know you're not doing it right. I know I'm not doing it right. Kelly's not doing it right. Nope. <laughs> but we have room to mess up because of what Jesus did. So there are new mercies every morning from God because of what Christ did for us. So maybe you weren't doing it right today with screens, but maybe you think about that question Kelly threw out there and you want to do something different tomorrow. It's available to you because of what Jesus did for you. Right? Using Jesus's model of humility and compassion it's going to be transformative for children growing up surrounded by media and technology. And this is exactly what we are supposed to be achieving through sanctification, Christ-likeness. We are to model Christ's steadfast obedience in the face of exhaustion and frustration and emotion and all those other temptations. It's funny, as you were talking about, you know, Jesus arriving on the boat and he's surrounded by crowds, which he got on the boat to get away from the crowds He constantly was actually trying to disciple his 12, but the crowds would not leave him. And I think to myself, and I remember the days when I would come home from work and my work would be really crazy eight hours, really intense eight hours. And the kids would bombard me in the garage before I even could get out of my car. And I'd want to be like, leave me alone. I'm tired. I can't handle the crowd. Immediately, I just, I was really convicted when, as you said that. Those are those moments, though, where we are called to do just that, to model what Christ did for us. We all in this parenting journey have those moments of sheer exhaustion. I cannot take one more word out of this toddler's mouth, out of this teenager's mouth, and you just want to lose it. And we have such a great example in Christ. And that is the goal. It's, it's not to be perfect for the sake of this world and people thinking you're perfect, it's because we are to be more like Christ every day. So I also think about, um, I had made a note of Philippians 2, 3 through 4, is just a constant motivator. And we've used this in several different ways um, as we talk through a lot of things in Brave Parenting. But Paul tells the, the church in Philippi, he says, 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than ourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we often talk about how that relates to posting on social media, whether that be for us or for um, teenagers, when we're looking for other people to follow us and love us and worship our lives, right? That's this vain conceit that we don't want to have. However, if you evaluate this command in relation to parenting and um, allowing screen media, it just reminds us again that it all comes down to the personal parenting choices that each of us make. And a lot of those are based on those physiological circumstances and the fleshly feelings that don't honor God or serve to disciple our children, right? We have to look to their interests. I ask that question, what if it's a win-lose? Are we considering the interests of our kids long-term, right? If we don't know for sure that it's damaging, but we're pretty sure it's not beneficial, we have to take those things into consideration, not looking to our own interests, our own, what we believe to be our own need for sanity, because let's be real, our minds can tell us, if I don't get quiet time right now, I'm going to lose it. But what does that really mean? Are we really going to lose it, right? We can convince ourselves that this is what we need. Now, no one, and I really mean no one, is going to make a parent hand over an iPad, turn on the television, or give their smartphone to their baby or toddler. It is all our decision. It is a decision we all make. And through prayer, through discernment, through maybe reading some research, we need to make this decision. It is going to look different at different ages and different seasons of life. You know, I have a, I have a friend who was really intentional about not allowing her baby and toddler up to two to use her phone ever. But then when the, her baby was two, her husband passed away and it was really sad and family was there and they were all helping her. And one of the family members handed over their phone to the two-year-old And my friend was so frustrated because she had worked so hard to withhold the screen. But in those moments, she couldn't necessarily stop it. And I think about how there was that time of immense grief and the child kind of got on the phone and she loved it. And then she kept demanding, you know, asking and pulling away the mom's phone. But as that season of grief subsided, my friend steadfastly withheld the screen so it did not become an ingrained habit and retrained her child to not touch her phone and to not go for that screen. I think that's a really great point for our listeners is to think about your life in seasons and not so much in time. What are you trying to achieve as a parent in this season? And that is going to look different for the different age levels, but it's really important to consider it. What happens right during a difficult season such as COVID does not have to be the new normal. We as parents, we can reset our kids' habits when they're young. That's the one of the blessings of having young kids is they're just really flexible. Um, and it's going to be a battle, sure, but that battle can totally be won. Yeah, when they're young, that battle can absolutely be won. That is the truth. Um, but even then, if you're like saying, you know, I'm just praying about this, I'm not hearing from the Lord. You know, I don't know. The Lord isn't leading me one way or another. And so you're just kind of acting again on the natural flesh. Feel like I need it. My kids want it. It feels good. It it allows me to get the dishes done. It allows me 
to shower, whatever those things are. God is not going to give us these guidelines like we have from the AAP or um, the World Health Organization. It's not, that's not in Scripture. But Scripture is still sufficient to tell us how we are to respond to our flesh and to think of others and not just think of ourselves, right? So we've got to remember where it is that God's Word, where it's going to lead us. is He's not going to provide us this, yes, use a screen, no, don't use a screen. And in the end, I think that a safe place to land as you're you're thinking about this, as you're trying to become intentional about this, is to land where most child development experts, you know, at the American Academy of Pediatrics, at the World Health Organization, where they're landing, and that is less screen time, the better. And the more high quality the content, the better. The delayed first age of access, the better. And we can land here because these ways that they're suggesting, they do more mimic our own analog childhood. And that's the childhood that we've known for centuries. And we generally know it works pretty well. If you're questioning the integrity of the organizations that Kel just mentioned, because they they don't represent the gospel or the revealed word of God, I get that. Or because they're political, right? They don't express the same care and passion for children like Jesus did. Again, I understand that as well. But the overarching takeaway is that they are all saying, wait and limit. The only person who is saying, you should give them everything, is big tech and other exhausted parents. Those are the only people that are saying, give it to them all. Don't wait. Don't limit. Big tech and other exhausted parents. So the next right step, I think, is actually kind of fairly obvious. We need to wait and limit as much as we can. It may not be perfect, but I really believe that if we're intentional to teach moderation and character strengths such as self-control and patience and honesty with screens, our children have the best chance of navigating through adolescent years with the character and the skills that they need in order to use screens as a tool and not be overtaken by them. They become a utility instead of a vice. Yeah, they have to learn somehow in some way. And yes, that's going to start now when they're toddlers. It used to just start later, maybe when they were teens, but that isn't the case now. And so the goal isn't so much completely ban it and not allow them to touch it. If you have it and they use it sometimes, great. Teach them how to use it well. That should definitely be a little bit more of our goal. So now this episode today was really just kind of a part one of part two. We kind of wanted to set up what it really looks like to raise babies and toddlers around screens. And we want to look at research. And and honestly, we could list a bunch of research that supports how we feel. But there is an equal amount of research that doesn't support how we feel. And that's why we wanted to touch on the topics of why research should not be the ultimate Bible for us, right? We need to constantly know that this is more about us, our sanctification, of what we are called to do as parents and to disciple our children. And next week, we're going to be talking to a pediatrician and mother of six, and she is going to give us more of the medical and child development perspective, as well as her own experience raising six kids So you are not going to miss the episode. It is packed with so much grace and truth. I promise you will be encouraged. 
All right, friends, thank you so much for tuning in to the Brave Parenting Podcast. Make sure that you subscribe, share it with your friends, especially those who have babies and toddlers, so they can hear this message, be encouraged. And if you love the show, we would love for you to leave us a five-star review that helps other listeners find the show as well. Make sure to subscribe to the Brave Parenting newsletter. You can do that at braveparenting.net forward slash newsletter. Thanks so much, guys. And until next week, go and be brave.